You know, there's some things that just don't go together. Uh, water and oil do not mix. Cats and dogs don't get along. And you should never put pineapple on a pizza. Okay, that, that, that <laughs> some of you will disagree with me, uh, but I don't think you should, pineapple should never go close to a pizza. These just don't get along, in my opinion. Uh, but one thing we can all agree on is that fire and gasoline do definitely not mix. Like that's an explosive con- uh, combination that you don't want to, that you don't want to experience. My cousin and I are about the same age, and uh, when we were both 12, he learned this lesson the hard way. He threw, and I don't know why he, uh, what possessed him to do this, but he threw a can of gasoline on a fire, and it exploded. And he got burnt all over the place and uh, had to get bandaged up and missed a bunch of school and all of that. But, uh, but gasoline and fire is an explosive combination. We've had an explosion in our culture the last few years. And, uh, and the explosive combination that I'm talking about is the pandemic and all that went with it and the political environment in which all this took place. It was like we threw political gasoline on what was already a burning fire and it made it a whole lot worse. The pandemic uh, was a fire burning. It had lots of logs. It had the coronavirus, and then it had isolation, and then it had had how it affected the economy and the vaccine and all the health concerns and all of that. And it's as if the politicians threw gasoline on the fire with their nasty rhetoric and their attack of one another, and they're assuming the worst, and anyone that didn't agree with them, and they're sowing doubt— about who or who could not be trusted. And people got burned. In fact, uh, I know of, not literally, but, you know, burned spiritually and relationally. I know of many people in our church that uh, had friendships destroyed over how all of this kind of exploded in our face. And I know families that were splintered. Some of you still don't have the greatest relationship with certain family members because of heated arguments. And maybe you had some of those arguments, or, or maybe it was the, the, those feelings of, of anger or hurt that were exasperated by the political climate that we were living in and are still living in. The political climate that we are living in is nasty right now. It's so divided. And, and, and I wanted to bring this up because I knew from the beginning when we started this sermon series on Find Your Footing, we would need to have a discussion. How are we as people of faith to live in this politically charged, turbulent time and world that we are living in? What is God's word to say? Well, we're, go- we're going back to Isaiah as we have been. And what we find in Isaiah is actually a, 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 a situation not so dissimilar to ours. In Isaiah's time, the Israelites are in, have their own political climate that is politically charged, and they don't have their own freedom even. 
They've been, uh, the Israelites have been attacked by the Babylonians and they are under captivity and so they've lost their freedom and the religious leaders have lost uh, their power. And it's a topsy-turvy world uh, at that time, just like it is in our time. And yet, in, yet God speaks through the prophet Isaiah to give them principles to find hope and identity in their own situation, principles that will proved to be helpful for us as well. And so when I was studying Isaiah, chapter 45, uh, there's some verses here that I just thought, these are them. These are the verses we need to look at. In our politically charged, topsy-turvy world, there are some principles here that help give us stability, help us find our footing in in our faith in such a way that we as people of faith can have a little bit more balance and stability. God writes in uh, Isaiah 45, and we're, we're going to read just verses uh, 22 through 25. So if you have your Bible, open it up, uh, Isaiah 45. If you want to turn to it on your device, that's fine. The words will be on the screen as well. These are, uh, what we're looking for here is we're looking for those words of hope, those words of identity, those words that give us, uh, that give us some footing in our current uh, environment. Isaiah 45, verses 22 through 25. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my my mouth has uttered in uh, in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear. They will say of me, In the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against me will come to me and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. That's the end of Isaiah 45. And so we'll stop right there for today and ask the Lord to to speak to us uh, now. God, as we look at these four verses, it's just a brief passage of Scripture, but I believe that you have a word for us. And so, God, we invite you now to come and to both be our teacher, but but also just to show us yourself. May we see your, your greatness in these verses. May you show us who you are and, and the life that you have for us. And God, as we think about these things, I pray that it would give us truths that we would not only find our footing, but that we would actually just uh, grow in our, in our love for you and our passion for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to give us three principles, and I'll just call them political principles. Three principles for people uh, of faith, you and I, that we, uh, how we can live in a politically charged, turbulent time. Three principles from these verses. The first political principle is this, that God alone can change things. God alone can change things. So in the passage it says, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. And the first, verse, the first words in this passage are, uh, turn to me and be saved. Now, in Isaiah's uh, time in which this is written, uh, their deliverance would come in a political means. It would be Cyrus, king of Persia, who would come and deliver the the Israelites from their Babylonian captivity. And that hasn't happened yet, 
but uh, Isaiah is prophesying that it will. But Isaiah makes very clear here, or God through Isaiah, that their deliverance is ultimately not from a king or political source, but ultimately from the Lord. And I think that's a very important polit- uh, uh, principle for us to remember today, because I think we have at times gotten into the bad habit of looking for all our solutions from the government. Like we just think, man, uh, the, the answers to society's ills are in the Republican Party or in the Democratic Party or in the politician or in this proposition or in this program or whatever it is. We've gotten in the habit of looking to, all the, uh, to, looking to our politics to solve society's ills. And I'll just say God sometimes will use those things But we as people of faith need to uh, be grounded in the truth that only God can truly change things. Amen? Amen. God is ultimately the king. God is ultimately the one that can make a difference. And so we place our hope in him. As verse 22 here says, For I am the Lord, and there is no other. You take out your coin, there's four words on it, right? In God we trust. And uh, that has to be true. We trust in the Lord. So if we believe that God alone can, uh, can change things, then that means that we will be people of prayer. And the Bible challenges us when it comes to our politics to pray. Uh, it challenges us to pray for our leaders. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, I urge you then, first of all, that Petitions and prayers, intercessions and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. Paul says we should pray for our leaders. Now, when Paul writes this, these were not necessarily the most good and godly leaders that have ever walked the face of the earth. These are the type of leaders that would put the Son of God to death on a cross. And yet he still says, pray for our kings and for our leaders. And this is a challenge for us. Are you praying for our leaders? Are you praying for the politicians and the government officials in our society? And and some of you may say, I don't want to pray for that guy. He's a bad guy. I don't agree with him. Pray for him all the more that God would uh, work in his heart. And also, sometimes we pray not not just for their good, but for our own good. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, pray for our, your enemies and those that persecute you. Sometimes I think that God teaches us to pray for our enemies, not uh, uh, in part for our own hearts to be calmed, for, for us to be able to set aside our anger or our resentment or our frustration. It does your soul a lot of good to pray for politicians that you don't even necessarily agree with. You know, talking about a find our footing in a, in, a, in a turbulent world, that goes a long ways. If you pray for the leaders that God has put in place, and it helps us to remember, God's put them in place. So we pray for our leaders, but we also, and this is where I, I think we can all rally around the campfire, so to speak, we can all get together, is we want to pray for spiritual awakening. That, that's what our country needs more than anything. We need a spiritual awakening. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent or anything else. If you're a person of faith, we can all agree with that, that we need to pray for spiritual awakening. And God has done it. 
in this country in the past. In fact, we have in our history books what we call the Great Awakenings, the first of which took place before we were officially a country. We were 13 colonies, and a pastor by the name of Jonathan Edwards, uh, who was pastoring a small church in Northampton, Connecticut, was praying, God, move among the people. Now, during that time, religion had become very formalized, and so people had lost their personal connection with God. Many people had stopped going to church, and it, and it, and it stirred Edwards to pray, God, we need an awakening in our community and in this, in this, in this land. And Edwards, from everything I can understand, he was not a get-up-and-pound-the-podium type preacher. In fact, my understanding is he read his notes during his sermon with his nose in, in his notes. But one Sunday in, in 1734, the Spirit began to move. And people were convicted of their sin. And it spread from that Sunday over the course of the next few years until there was an awakening that spread throughout the whole land. And people were convicted of their sins, and many would rejoice in worship and even shout for joy. Uh, Edwards and those that, uh, that the other pastors at that time were not necessarily super emotive people, but God stirred in them. And it will look different for every church and in every area, but uh, we need a spiritual awakening. And I've been praying this every day, and I invite you to pray it with me that God would stir within West Covina Christian Church and God would stir in this community. Uh, would you pray with me that God would bring a spiritual awakening, that we would see God in his greatness and we'd be moved to worship him and, and to redevote our lives to him. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now that verse, I'm not trying to take it out of context. I know it's written for the Israelites, but man, the, the principles are just the same for us as Americans. This is what we need to do. We need to humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face, turn from our wicked ways, and God will hear from heaven, and he'll forgive our sin and, and heal our hand. The first political principle that we must remember is that God alone can change things. The second critical principle that I see in this passage is that we are to pledge your ultimate allegiance to the Lord. Were you like me in school every day before the day got started? You stood at your desk, you put your right hand up, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America every day. It's a daily ritual, and we recommitted uh, our commitment uh, to the country as, as young people. Uh, we must every day give our, our, a pledge of our ultimate allegiance to the Lord, to, to bow down, so to speak, and say that, God, you're in charge of my life. Verses 23 and 24 are a pledge of allegiance. God says, before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. And so here it's not a hand over the heart. Here it's a bowed knee and a confessing tongue. But we are called to commit our lives to the Lord. That's a, that's a daily challenge that brings stability in this politically charged, turbulent time 
that we live in to pledge our, ultimately, our ultimate allegiance to the Lord. Now, the New Testament writers would pick up on this verse from Isaiah, and they would apply it to the life of Jesus, that, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee in, on earth and under the earth and, uh, and in heaven, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. Now, Jesus established his lordship, his kingship, when he first came to this earth, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. But we also know that one day, at the end of history, when he comes back a second time, then, one, then every knee will uh, bow, and every tongue will confess once and for all that Jesus is Lord. And then he will literally take up his throne and reign over the new heavens and the new earth for all eternity. He'll be the king on the throne. It'll be a theocracy. He is the one that rules. Now, we live between his first coming and his second coming. So what are we to do in this in-between period? Well, quite simply, we are to live at, with Jesus as the king of our lives. And as we do, we bring his reign and his culture into the world around us. Tomorrow has historically been celebrated as Columbus Day. I think that's tomorrow, right? And uh, now we don't uh, necessarily celebrate Columbus, I don't think, in the same way that we, that we did when I was a kid. In fact, now we, we call it um, Native People's Day, right? It's because we understand that the Columbus and the Spanish colonization uh, did not treat the native peoples very well oftentimes. And they forced their culture upon them, and that's not, what we're, that's not what we want to celebrate. But what I see the Spanish uh, people during the, uh, the Spanish army and the Spanish uh, country doing during the 15th and 16th century does provide an interesting illustration for what I think we are called to do as Christians here. It's an imperfect illustration because I'm not promoting colonization, but you'll get the point. Okay, so during the 15th and 16th century, the Spanish had what they called fifth uh, columnists. In their army, they had four columns. It was like four branches of the military. The fifth column, the fifth were not military people. They were lay people. They were doctors, teachers, shoemakers, whatever. And the fifth columnists would then move into the territory that the army was that the government was planning on attacking later on so that the fifth colonists could set up the culture in the land. When they uh, took over the territory, the people would more readily uh, uh, accept the Spanish culture and the Spanish ways. Now, you get the parallels? Jesus is coming back. He's going to set up his reign. What are we called to do? We're called to move into the territory. It's called to set up shop, so to speak. Live in this world of which we are not really, uh, this is not really our home. In fact, we're foreigners here. That's what Peter tells us. First Peter 2, it says, I, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good uh, lives among the pagans, among non-Christians. That's what we're talking about. Moving into the area live in good lives, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, which they will, they, will, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. 
The day he visits is when Jesus comes back a second time. And so we are foreigners here, called to live good, uh, a good life so that others may glorify God. Now, if we are foreigners, where are we from? Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are citizens of heaven. That's our homeland. That's where we're from. That's the culture that we want to bring into the world that we are living in right now. Now, if you visit another country as a foreigner, you got to have a passport, right? Now, I haven't done a lot of world traveling, but when I've traveled to other countries, i got a little pouch I tuck under my shirt. keeps my passport right here because it's very hard. I'd, I'd really have to be out in no, in no man's land to get pickpocketed right here, right? Uh, like, no one's stealing my uh, passport if it's right here under my shirt. And, uh, and you don't want to lose that passport because that passport tells, you where you're, it tells people where you're from, that you're here legally, that you're here on good terms, and you want to get back to your homeland one day, that you belong to America. You're a citizen of America. Well, as citizens of heaven, our passport that we don't want to lose, that we want to hang on to, is God's love. God's love will get us back to our homeland one day. It's not by our own good works. It's not by, uh, by doing enough good deeds in this foreign country that will earn our way back to our homeland. No, it's God's love, His grace, that will get us back to our homeland. But, this, but God's love is also our passport in that it tells other people where we are from. Jesus says that it is the evidence of our faith. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And here's the point I want to make. Too many people lately have surrendered their Christian passport of God's love to the Republican Party or to the Democratic Party. They've gone all in with their political affiliation to the point where it makes it hard for them to love people who do not agree with them. Man, we, we got to get rid of that. Our passport, our identity, is that we have God's love, that we love one another. And I think West Covina Christian Church is, it has a prime opportunity here. Because as I look around this congregation, I know not all of you vote the same way. And uh, we have people all over the political spectrum. And what if we use this as an opportunity to show the world around us how to love, how to disagree, because we're never going to all agree on, every, on all these political issues, how to uh, disagree, and yet, how to love one another. Because we might not agree on the issues, but we've got the same identity. We're citizens of heaven. We're children of God. We're created in the image of God. So we can wrestle with the issues, and we should wrestle with the issues. We take all the issues, and we get out our Bible, and we study them, and we pray for God's discernment. And we talk with one another, trying to uh, sort things out uh, together. But at the end of the day, if, if we don't agree on all the issues, we still are able to love one another because it's not an attack on who we are personally. You see, politics are great for issues, but they are terrible for identity. Politics are great for defining the issues and helping us wrestle uh, with these things together, but they are not the core of who we are. 
The core of who we are is found in our relationship with Jesus. And see, I think we've, got, we've lost a little bit of that in our politically charged world right now. And especially as people of faith, as, as Christians, we just got to get back to the fact of who we are. We're children of God. We're citizens of heaven. Uh, we're, we're loved by the Father. And so we can love across the political aisle. We can love one another. And I will just say one other thing along these lines, and that is that as we wrestle with the issues, even if we've done all the hard work, searching the scriptures, praying about it, talking with each other, we will not uh, always agree on the issues. And that's because we see things at times through different lenses. If you've got glasses with two lenses, these lenses that we look at the world and even read our Bible with are our experience and our background. We see all things through these lenses of our experiences and background, so it causes us to see things differently and to read things differently. When I first moved to California, I was right out of seminary. I had grown up on a uh, farm in Iowa, and right after I graduated high school, I went to Bible college, and right after Bible college, I, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and went to seminary. And the first church that God called me to out of seminary is a church in the inner city of L.A., Here's this Iowa farm boy in the inner city of L.A. And uh, when I say the inner city, it was like one of the worst areas in all of L.A. I talk to people that know uh, the, the rough areas, and I tell them where uh, I lived, and they're like, you live there? I mean, this was the ghetto, big time. Uh, the church didn't have uh, much money, so I lived in the upstairs of the church. And my, uh, my bedroom, which used to be a Sunday school classroom, uh, was on the back side of the church. And I more than once, and I say more than once, two times, uh, I don't want to exaggerate the story, uh, two times uh, in the years that I was there, I watched from my back bedroom window as gangs fired at each other in the back alley. This was a rough neighborhood. And... Uh, and yet, I think God called me there for a reason. I could not have had different a, a more different background or more different experience than the people that I was living with and ministering to. And yet, as I was there, we, we learned to listen to one, one another. And I know, especially, I, like, I tried to understand. I tried to put myself in their shoes a lot of times, especially when I first went there, we were on opposite sides of the spectrum politically. And, uh, and yet we were able to, to minister together. And the more we uh, talked with one another, at times we grew closer, but we never aligned, just as no church will, completely on every issue. And, uh, and my point is that we learn to be generous with one another. I learned not to assume the worst in people who didn't agree with me. In fact, I learned to assume the best, especially among people of faith. And we need more of that in our world today. We need to, to come to the conclusion that we're going to say, I want to pledge allegiance to God, that he's the one I'm committed to. And we might not agree on everything, but we're going to love, because that's who we are. God has called us to love. And here is the last political principle that I'll give you this morning from God's Word, and that is to 
get excited about Jesus. Get excited about Jesus. Now, I want to just end on that high note because that's the way the passage ends. The last three verses, or the last three words of, this, of these verses is, boast in him. Boast in him. In other words, get excited about Jesus. Are you not amazed with, uh, as I am, that every time we have a, an election cycle, which we're in now, and one month from now we're going to go to the polls, and uh, I'm always amazed at how many millions of dollars are spent to get a candidate elected. How many thousands of hours are spent campaigning and uh, pouring energy and People get really excited about their candidate. And I have wondered, what if we got as excited about Jesus as people do about their candidate? You see, people know more about their uh, politics than they do about their Bible a lot of times, right? And people get more excited about their candidate than they get excited about Jesus. Give, and they're more inclined to give money to this campaign than they are to change things. And there are people that just get so wrapped up in that, they'll, they'll put up yard signs, they'll make cold calls, they'll knock on doors. Would we do the same thing for Jesus? God calls us to get excited about Jesus. It seems to me that we have three types of people when it comes to politics. There's the voter. The voter studies the issue, goes to the ballot box, casts his or her vote. Then you got the campaigner, and the campaigner gets a little bit more involved, and they'll make the calls, and they'll give some money, and, and they're getting really involved. But then you got the radical fanatical. You know who the radical fanatical is? The radical fanatical, you can always tell a radical fanatical when the election is over. They'll f- throw a celebration if they don't if they if their candidate wins and what do they do if their candidate loses they they threaten to leave the country am i right (laughs) it always happens they never leave the country but the radical fanatical threatens to leave the country and uh here's my point let's let's reserve our radical fanatical uh personality for jesus christ himself let's get excited about jesus Talk about praying for a spiritual awakening. Let's pray for a spiritual awakening in our own hearts that we would be excited about Jesus. Now, that looks different for every one of us. We all got different personalities. Some of you being excited about Jesus looks completely different than what it looks for. And that's okay. My point is, in our own way, let's get excited about Jesus. Today, I'm going to Uh, close the sermon with giving us an opportunity to pray. You know, as I was preparing this uh, message, it just really dawned on me that we've talked a lot about prayer in this this, uh, sermon. And and I've challenged you to pray for a lot of things. And so what I'm going to do now is, uh, first of all, I'm just going to invite us to... uh, close our eyes and and bow our heads, and I'm going to invite us to to, uh, ask God to come and to just give us stability within our own hearts and, and to recognize that this culture and this time has been hurtful. That um that this has been difficult and just to lay these burdens before the Lord and ask him 
to provide healing for us. Now next, I just mentioned a moment ago that um, are going to the polls in about a month. And uh, there's an election. There are candidates. There are propositions. And I want to invite you that to, to pray that God's will would be done. And pray that uh, these things that are important that, that God would just have his way. I challenged us from God's word today to pray for our government leaders, for our politicians, and, and especially for those that we don't necessarily like or agree with. Why don't we take a moment and pray for uh, our leaders? This one is a big one. Just want us to join our hearts together in praying that God would bring spiritual awakening to our church, to West Covina, to California, and, and to America. That the Spirit would begin to move and to stir in our hearts a real deep love and devotion for God. of the sermon, I talked about how we have been burned and uh, relationships have been strained. And I want to give you an, a moment just to pray for those friendships or those family members that you know that there is some, some uh, tension in right now. Pray for God's And lastly, let's each pray in the quietness of our hearts that God would help each of us to be excited for Jesus. Pray that God would stir in your heart just a, a love for him, a, an excitement for him, a, a passion for him. And how, however that looks, but pray that, that God would uh, stir in you that hatred for sin and that love for him.
In a minute, we're going to sing our closing song, and the prayer counselors will come to the front of the stage. We've had an opportunity to pray in the silence of our own hearts, but uh, you may be here this morning, and it would mean a lot just to be able to pray with someone. We'll have prayer counselors here that would love uh, to pray with you. Jesus says where two or three are gathered together in his name, he is there in their midst. This is an opportunity for us just to join our hearts together, and there is power in that prayer. So I just encourage you to come forward, and maybe it's one of these strained relationships. Maybe it's your own spiritual excitement. Maybe it's something else we prayed about. All of that is would be wonderful to pray with a brother or sister in the Lord. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I do thank you. God, I thank you that you are the king. God, I thank you that you reign over the, uh, over the earth right now. And even though it may feel like we are in that politically charged, turbulent world, we know that even in that world, you reign sovereign over that. And so, God, we thank you for that. God, I thank you for each person that is here today. And I know you've brought them here. I know that there are hurts in their hearts and things that they're, they're dealing with right now. And, and maybe it is even just certain things have gotten stirred up over the last few years. It was, the, it was the nasty rhetoric that was all around us. It was the strained relationships. Whatever it is, maybe they've just lost their connection with you. God, I pray that you would stir in their hearts just a work of your love, that you would draw them back to yourself and, uh, and help them to know that they are a child of yours. In fact, if they've never made a commitment to receive you as their Savior and Lord, pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this.